Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, listeners. Today I have a special episode for you. It's something that I want to implement more of going forward. It's a one-off episode covering a missing persons case. Lonine Ray Rogers, or Lonnie, 29 years old, went missing from her home in Hayfield Township, Pennsylvania, on January 7, 1981. That evening, she got into an argument with her husband. Later that same night, her husband woke up and realized Lonine was not in the house. She had left behind her hearing aid, eyeglasses, medication, car, and other personal items. She also left behind her two young children. After Lonine's disappearance, her husband, who is also deaf, placed their young daughter Allison for adoption. Allison has now grown and attempting to revive the investigation into her mother's disappearance. Allison was generous enough to come on the show and talk with me about her mother's disappearance and her incredible life's journey. I encourage you to check out the Justice for Lonine Facebook page in Allison's book titled A Daughter's Journey, which is available on Amazon. Here's my interview with Allison. Before we get into your mother, um, I, we, we obviously haven't met uh, and we're, we're chatting for the first time. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and, and just who you are? Yeah. Um, so outside of my mother and, and all of that story, I um, am a teacher. I have a master's degree in special education. Um, I also have a bachelor's degree in social work. So I got the social work degree first and started working in a, the, a school system with students that had behavior concerns. And then I only did that a year before I thought, oh, I'm going back to get certified to teach. And I got my master's in special education and then became a special education teacher. And I have been doing that for 23 years now. That's incredible. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. And we, we met online. I, I messaged you because you've been posting on social media about your missing mother and it's been, I believe yeah. more than 40 years now, right? Since your mother's gone missing. Correct. It's uh, January 7th. It was 42 years. Can you tell me and the listeners the circumstances surrounding your mother's disappearance? Because they really, really stood out to me as being rather unique. Sure. Um, well, uh, first of all, both of my parents were deaf. Um, my mother was deaf as a result of just childbirth. Um, and my father was hard of hearing, which means he could hear a little bit. Uh, my mother was completely deaf. My father's um, deafness or hard of hearing was a result of a car accident when he was three that the accident resulted in brain damage that left him hard of hearing. Um, and the circumstances um, around the disappearance were they met at a deaf club. So a deaf club is a, a place that mostly people who are deaf or know someone who is deaf or have parents that are deaf um, go to socialize and communicate and um, just feel safe to communicate in the same way. And my mother met my father at the deaf club um, in Erie, Pennsylvania, and um, they hit it off, started dating right away, and um, I believe it was a short courtship, and then they married. Now, my um, father had been off and on in a lot of trouble throughout his youth, um, had um, a criminal record that I don't believe my mother knew about at the time of their marriage. And um, when they married, after they married, a lot of these um, criminal-like tendencies were coming out and they really struggled. It was a, a very tumultuous relationship. Um, they had me, uh, I believe it was three years into their marriage, and then they had um, a daughter, they had myself. I am hearing, obviously. Um, and then two years later, I had... Um, I have a brother and he was born two years after me and he is also hearing. Now, um, shortly after my brother was born, um, they, again, as I say, they struggled a lot in their relationship. The day my brother was born, my father was actually in jail um, for staging a robbery at a bar that he worked at and um, he was convicted of theft, burglary, and lying to the police because he had staged the whole thing. So um, my mother continued to just be very frustrated and, you know, she was clean cut, never got in trouble, and my father was in trouble a lot. And they then separated shortly after that time. And so when my brother was two, like two and a half, they separated and my mother let him come. So they separated in October of 1980 and they lived in different homes. They were separated. My mother allowed him to come back for the, for the, over the Christmas holidays into the home because she wanted um, him to be able to have Christmas with, with his children. And she didn't want to deprive him or us of that opportunity. But unfortunately, after the holidays, um, per their agreement, he was supposed to leave, but he refused. And um, so then on January 7th, well, let me back up. On January 6th, 
she came home from work and went to her father's home, her parents' home, and told her father that she was planning to leave him. She asked her father if um, she could borrow some money to just give her, you know, something to help get the children and um, herself away from him because my father was refusing to leave the home. My father gave her $60 and said that was all that he had. And in 1980, $60 was worth a lot more than it is today. So um, that was all he had. He gave it to her. And on the night of January 6th, we lived in a duplex so that means there's an apartment on the top and an apartment on the bottom we were in the upstairs apartment so on the night of January 6th she came home and you know the couple my parents were arguing over dinner and um she told him that she intended to leave him and that she was done with the relationship with the marriage um it they were done that next um, that next day she was listed as a missing person. And what happened was at three o'clock in the morning, um, my father came into my room and woke me up and then woke my brother up and said, your mother left with another man. We have to go find her. So he then at three o'clock in the morning, got us dressed and took us to the babysitter who was also hearing impaired you know, pounded on the door and her hearing children opened the door and let us in. My father said that, you know, my mother left and that he needed to go find her, left the kids, myself and my brother with her. And this woman, the babysitter, was actually very good friends with my mother. So she was, of course, very concerned because my mother never said anything about that. And she had just seen her. Well, a few hours um, are unaccounted for. Uh, he showed up for work on time at 6 a.m. like he would any other time, didn't allude to there being problems in the home, just did his job and came home. So um, when he came home, the babysitter had let my grandfather know um, through her hearing children that my mother was, was missing and that they didn't know where she was. And my grandfather and my great-grandfather kicked open the door and, you know, went inside trying to find my mother, couldn't find anything. My father then um, ends up coming home from work and they are in the apartment. So there's a lot of arguing and yelling and um, the police were actually there. My grandfather had called the police who came over um, to the apartment. My father comes home and his you know, dwelling is full of my grandparents and the police and they frisk, I, I guess you say my father had him empty his pockets, you know, just kind of asking, trying to ask him questions because he was deaf. So there was a communication barrier. My father pulls out of his pocket three $20 bills, $60. My grandfather loses it and says, where did you get that money? He says, Lonnie gave it to me. Now, this is the same money that she borrowed from her father to leave my father. And at that moment, my father was telling the police that my mother gave it to him. So, of course, you know, that is that is yet another circumstantial piece of evidence in all of this. As my mother has now been missing for 42 years and there has never been 
a sighting that was confirmed. There's never been use of her social security number. She's not tried to contact family or friends or myself or my brother. Um, she's never tried to get a job. She's never tried to get medical attention, um, benefits of any sort, absolutely nothing. She vanished. And my father, um, they have never been able to get enough evidence to prove that a crime was committed or that it wasn't committed. So it's kind of the case has been cold and just kind of in limbo for 42 years now. He has lived free um, and no one has been. My father is considered a person of interest in the case, but there has not been any um, evidence that has been strong enough that could make any kind of conviction or even to move forward on a trial at this point. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. One of the things I'm interested in, I guess it sounds like the the main theory is that your father might have had, had something to do with your mother's disappearance. Were the police or you or, or anyone able to maybe come up with any other theories or is it, it, does it very much lean that your father is a person of interest and he must know something about what happened to your mom? Uh, well, I believe the latter of what you said. I, I, I think all fingers have pointed um, at my father all along. They did pursue other possibilities. Um, there was a gentleman that my mother was very good friends with that she worked with at a hotel um, who was trying to actually help her leave my father. Um, they did you know, look into him pretty extensively and rolled him out. Um, I don't believe that there was anyone other than that one gentleman that they thought you know, could be a potential suspect, but they truly have found nothing. I mean, everything that they have, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence, like the money. Um, there was a missing blanket that he couldn't account for. You know, there's a lot of things that may or may not mean anything if you don't know what happened to her. So what your mother goes missing, um, you know, a lot of circumstantial evidence points to your father potentially being involved. What happens to you and, and your relationship with your father? I mean, that must be like, I just can't imagine like how, how old were you when your when your mother went missing? So I was five, but I was literally days from my sixth birthday. So she disappeared on January 7th and my birthday is January 12th. So I was just days from being six and my brother was, um, had just turned three. So just a few months before. Wow. Like you're both so young. Um, what, what happens right? after that? Yeah. Like what, I can't imagine. Like, uh, I mean, did you stay living with your father? Like what, what happened? So, um, we both have very different stories, meaning my brother and I, um, I well, to begin with, uh, my aunt, my mother's sister, was really, really trying to get custody of us and trying to get us to get my father to let us stay with her. Um, that only lasted for a few days. He allowed her to take us while he did you know, whatever he needed to do. But that only lasted a couple days, and he took us away, and um, he accused her of trying to steal us and told her she would never see us again. And... Uh, I truly had only seen her a handful of times after that day 
until I was an adult. So the, all of that, my mother's side was pretty much cut off um, per my father from seeing us. And that was my whole childhood. Um, after that same time period, right after my mother disappeared, uh, my father took us from my mother's sister, my aunt Glenny, to his sister's home. And um, we stayed there for a couple of years is what it turned out to be um, while he was you know, supposedly getting himself together. So what happened is like he would come and get us and then we would move in with him and, you know, we're going to stay with him. Well, then he would leave us and um, the children's services would come in and take us away for abuse and neglect. Um, he wouldn't feed us. He'd leave us alone. He would go to his girlfriend for a week at a time and leave no food in the house. And um, being the older sister, I knocked on a neighbor's door and asked for food and then we'd get reported and then taken away and we'd end up you know, at his sister's. Um, sometimes we were in foster care. Um, so it was pretty um, difficult. Like it was from home to home to home, whether it was his home or my aunt's home or foster care up until I turned 14. Um, on uh, my brother, actually, it was on his birthday. We were living with my father and going into town for um, a birthday dinner for my brother. My father had a pickup truck and he had um, my brother and his girlfriend get in the cab of the pickup truck and the truck bed. Um, he told me I had to sit back there and this was in October and Erie, Pennsylvania is a, a very cold um, snowbelt area and it was freezing. So we drove about 20 minutes into town and I was crying and banging on the window saying I was freezing, you know, tears freezing to my cheeks. And he pulled into Erie police station and went in and he's deaf. So he couldn't like communicate very well. So he went in and he was telling the officer, I don't want her anymore. I'm leaving her here. They said, uh, you can't do that. You can't just drop kids here. And he came out to the truck to get me because he wanted me to interpret to them what he was saying that he's not taking me home. So I go in, you know, my 14 year old self and I'm interpreting to the police officer that he's saying he doesn't want me anymore, that I'm too much trouble and he's leaving me there. So the police officer is telling me to tell him, I'm sorry, but this is a police station. You can't just drop kids off here. Take her home and we'll figure it out um, on Monday. Now, this was a Friday when this was happening. He refused. So then the police officer asked me um, who I could call or who they could call on my behalf that could come take care of me or I could stay with until Monday. I told him you could try my aunt we always end up there well she they called her and she said hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To work it out, I'm done. And... In her defense, you know, my father had dropped us off there many times, but she said no. So then he said to me, okay, well, do you know anybody else? And I said, no, I don't. And out of nervousness, I put my hand in my pocket and I felt a piece of paper. And I remembered that earlier in the day, that same day, the guidance counselor at my school had called me down because she knew, you know, that I was coming from a very difficult home life and she did the story. So she was just calling me down to check on me. She knew that if I was back with my father, it, you know, it wasn't a good thing. I really, at that point was starting to kind of lose faith and said, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, she writes her home phone number down on a piece of paper, hands it to me and says, if you ever need anything ever day or night, this is my home phone number. You call me and I will, I will help you. And I was like, okay. So then that was the piece of paper that I felt in my pocket. So I said to the police officer, well, this is my teacher's phone number. She said, if I needed anything, I could call day or night. And the police officer was like, "Uh, okay. So he called her. And would you believe that she came to the police station and got me? And they later adopted me and I became... um, part of their family. And my brother, unfortunately, um, I was able to live, you know, the remainder of my teenage years with them. Uh, My brother, however, remained with my father for a few more years before um, he got kicked out and got abused and ran away. And, you know, he has a very difficult story um, living with my father. That, uh, it's, awful and incredible like how that all played out for you i can't that scene in the police station just sounds um horrible where you're having to almost interpret um you know your own fate um yeah that's right yeah i can't i can't imagine i can't imagine being a police officer i mean i can't imagine not understanding what my father's saying and looking at a 14 year old girl saying um what (laughs) it's just crazy yeah, it sounds like from the police officer's perspective, it would be surreal. It'd be like, what is what is happening right now? Uh, you have, you've obviously lived a very interesting life, and I know you've written a book um, about about that, but also about your mother. I'm curious, like, was that was that something that was not only to bring you know awareness to your mother's case, but was that like something that was maybe therapeutic and cathartic for you as well? Absolutely. Um- I always liked journaling throughout my life, Um, but, uh, you know, from time to time, I I had, um, you know, done some journaling and then I didn't. And um, at one point, you know, my father's sister, my aunt had read my journal and told me I shouldn't be writing such lies about my father. And then I, you know, didn't want to write and then it was a bad thing. But, you know, in my adult 
life. Um, when I was able to kind of create a life for myself that was safe and healthy and loving, um, I just found a space where I learned to enjoy writing again. And I had a lot of things that um, I just felt like I wanted to tell. And there are many reasons for writing the book. Um, one, of course, as you mentioned, is it's very therapeutic. Um, another reason is I, I wanted, I realized that so many people never even knew about my mother's story or many people knew me and didn't know my story, you know, just never even questioned. And I couldn't believe how many people in the local area where my mother disappeared had never even heard of it. So I wanted to bring awareness to the case in hopes of bringing the case uh, closer to being solved. And the final reason is um, I don't have my mother and I was so young. I don't have very many memories of her, but the stories that I've heard um, from people about my mother just make this picture in my head of this amazing woman that I want to honor. And I feel like I'm living my life now in her honor. And I wanted this book to tell her story, to tell my story in living without her, but also to tell her resilience and what she went through in her life and what I'm now doing with that gift of resilience that she gave me and offer that same spirit of resilience to anyone who was, who was reading the story or listening to the story and, you know, needed to have positive encouragement to move forward in their life, you know, whatever they might be dealing with or if they're in a bad relationship, you know, give them the courage to step out. And that is what I truly want my mother's legacy to be. Um, one of rewriting the story for good and um, digging deep for that resilience to reach for what you deserve in life. That is incredible. And um, I mean, it's inspiring, um, you know, just hearing you talk about it and all you've been through and the way that you've you've channeled it. It truly is. And what's what's so people listening can go get the book right now. How can they get it? And what's it called? Uh, it is on Amazon, and if you go to Amazon, um, you can plug in my name, Allison Diker, uh, last name D-U-I-K-E-R, or you can type in the title of the book, which is A Daughter's Journey and Story of Resilience. That's incredible. Um, I've already added it to my wish list um, because it's something that I I definitely want to read and I'm sorry I didn't have time to do it before we did this this happened pretty quickly Um, but it's incredible and hearing you talk about it um, like I'm almost at a loss for words it's just you're just it seemed like such an incredible human being Um, and you've obviously channeled a lot of this stuff and hardship that's happened in your life into, you know, finding um, not just truth for your mother uh, to what happened but also to keep her memory alive Um, I'm curious like you've is this part of the reason you've been so active on social media and you're looking for answers like um does this almost feel like you know your purpose now yes oh absolutely honestly i um i feel i don't really know where my future is going but i want to use um my story for good you know i want to i do have a social work degree and there's 
there's so much of me that wants to reach out to hurting individuals and just give them hope and inspire them. And I don't know what God has in store for me or what it looks like, but I, I do hope that, you know, the remainder of my life is spent um, helping others heal and encouraging people to reach for better and not to stay stuck um, when they feel like they're in a, in a difficult situation that they're not feeling control, um, just inspiring people to, to dig deep for that resilience that we all have. That's incredible. Um, I guess then I, I, I don't want to circle back to the, the, the negative, but I mean, it is a part of this story, but I'm curious after all these years and everything that's happened, like, are you still in communication with your father? Like what, what happened there? Like, I, I can't imagine how that dynamic could unfold. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, when he dropped me off at the police station, that was pretty much the last communication I ever had with him. Um, he lived in the same town for a good period of time that I lived in, um, because that was my guidance counselor in the same school district. So I, you know, moved in with them, but I was in the same town. Um, you know, I, I worked at a, a restaurant in the town, you know, as a teenager, he would visit there. And, um, I always kind of like tried to not hide, but, you know, skirt away from him. I, I did not want contact with him. Um, you know, there were a couple times he tried to reach out, but, you know, I would have a friend, uh, kind of jump in there when it was at the restaurant or um, I just avoided him. We have not all these years um, had communication. Um, my brother also does not have communication with him since he was you know, in his late teens. So neither one of us has had any relationship with my father all these years. Yeah. And that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I was just wondering if, um, you know, have any leads or new information come in since you've kind of started this, this social media campaign, I guess, you know, is there any hope that you can get some truth here? So, um, is there any hope? Absolutely. The answer to that is absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly believe that the answer is out there. Um, my gut tells me from the numbers of people who have messaged me um, through the justice page, the justice for Lonnie page on Facebook, um, the numbers of people who have messaged me saying that they know my father, they knew my father, they were afraid of my father or telling me some awful story. I feel like the person or persons out there that have information about this case are probably afraid to say anything. And I just pray that as this case gets more and more attention, the power of the numbers behind, you know, this cause gives whoever that individual is that has information that they may or may not even know is important, has the courage to step forward and realize that, well, my father was and is a very angry, aggressive man, you know, this this movement to find justice is way bigger than him. And I and I just pray that it leads to, you know, closure and an answer. Absolutely. And if someone listening out there does have some information to provide that can be helpful, what's the best way? Like who should they contact? Where should they go? 
So they can contact me personally if they wanted to talk to me or share anything with me or ask questions. Um, I am on, I am the, the admin for the Justice for Law Need page on Facebook. They can also contact the Meanville, Pennsylvania State Police. Uh, the lead detective is uh, Trooper Kevin Geibel. And um, the Meadville State Police would be more than happy to um, field any calls, questions that people may have. That's great. Um, I wanted to end by asking you, because you you brought it up earlier, um, that you know, you, you don't have a ton of memories because you were very young of your mother, but you've kind of reconstructed, um, you yeah. know, an image of her through stories from other people. I'm wondering out of after all these years getting this information, writing the book, you know, you know, kind of unraveling your mother's life. What's the what's the thing that stands out to you the most about her, who she who she is as a person or, or what's a memory that stands out as something that, um, you know, makes you feel maybe really hopeful that you will you will keep her memory alive and, and get some truth for her? That's a great question. Um, so this year in particular, um, just with the justice page and the exposure that the case um, has gained, I've had more and more people telling me stories of my mother, oh, I remember her from, or telling me different things that had happened and um, or their experience with my mother. And it has been absolutely amazing to hear, you know, these funny stories that, that my mother was so funny and that she was lively and how many people said she lit up a room, you know, and how, um, she was deaf, but she was a great dancer. Um, my grandfather was actually a dance instructor and my mother would dance with him when he gave lessons. And people were just awe-inspired at her resiliency. You know, like, how is she doing this? She can't hear. But she could feel the music better than any of us because her senses were heightened, you know, for feeling the vibrations. So I think what really stands out to me is how much she did not take no for an answer. You know, in, in her youth, you know, people would tell her, oh, you can't do that because you're deaf. And she would say, yes, I can't watch. And she would do it, you know. And I think... Over the year, this year in particular, I've learned so many neat stories of her heart, her love, her kindness, and um, her just refusal to accept I can't, you know, and I, I guess I call that resiliency. And I see that in myself. So it's been neat to learn and more stories about her and people's experience and realize I am her and I didn't even really know her. I mean, I lost her when I was five and to realize that as an adult, I did not have the luxury of growing up with her example, but yet I, sh her example is in me. Wow. Uh, I was just lost in your words. Uh, that was beyond moving. Um, that's incredible. I, I want to end it there because I think that's such a nice memory uh, to end this on. And I want to thank you, Allison, so much for agreeing to do this and coming on. You're and so thank I, you. Yeah. And I hope we can have another conversation and maybe, it, you know, we'll, we'll have an answer to, to, you know, what happened to your mother. And that would be, I hope um, maybe a nice ending to this, this really long journey that you've been on. Well, sure. I will say that um, through the justice page, I'm reaching like greater outlets and avenues. Um, 
I was able to go to Georgia and um, meet with a cold case investigator um, who works with Nancy Grace. And like, I really feel like a lot of the connections and resources for people that are on the page are starting to come to life. And it's just like more opportunity for exposure is getting out there. So I really, I feel the momentum of this case and I really feel like, you know, we're going to move forward and whatever way it's supposed to go, you know? That's incredible. And it does the Facebook page and I'll, you know, plug all those, all the info and pages in the intro and the outro of this episode. But, um, I absolutely like it seems like such a strong community on there uh, and that there's so many people yeah. willing to help in any way they can that um, I feel the momentum, too. And that's why I wanted to do this with you, just to, to do my small part and try and help. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you know anything about Lonine's disappearance, you can contact Allison through the Justice for Lonine Facebook page or contact Pennsylvania State Police or Meadville Barracks and ask for trooper Kevin Guy Bell. If you want to know more about Lonine's disappearance and Allison's life, you should check out her book, A Daughter's Journey. It's available on Amazon. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your appreciation, you can buy me a coffee at the link in the description. You can also support the podcast through a Buzzsprout paid subscription option, which is also linked in the details. If you want ad-free episodes and bonus content, you can check out the Patreon, which is $5 a month. As well as ad-free and sponsor-free episodes, you'll get exclusive content and you'll get content early. I'll also post monthly updates so you know what to expect each and every month. If you have any missing persons cases or unexplained events you think I should cover, feel free to reach out through the Facebook page or email me at tyhooper8 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the Missing and Unexplained podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.